0: Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's stories, a fascinating lawsuit brought by young plaintiffs in Montana who claim that their constitutional right to access a clean and healthful environment have been violated, it gets its trial date. Next, the white papers for Johnson & Johnson's secret plan to offload liability from its talc and asbestos litigation have leaked to the press, and the story is bizarre, to say the least. And Tesla, again, in the news, this time it's accused of running a segregated workplace. All of that and more, here's what you need to know. Up first... A climate fight in Montana, based on perhaps some overlooked language in the Montana Constitution, gets a trial date for February of 2023. Sixteen young plaintiffs in Montana are suing the state for their alleged rights to a clean future. The plaintiffs are being represented by Our Children's Trust, a nonprofit public interest law firm that is dedicated exclusively to securing the legal rights of youth to a healthy atmosphere and safe climate based on the best available science, according to its website. Now, the lawsuit alleges generally that the state of Montana has violated the constitutional rights of these Montana youths by contributing to the degradation of local climate and other pollution. This is not the first time that people have sued over somewhat esoteric rights to have a certain kind of climate. There's the public trust doctrine, for example, which has been invoked in other lawsuits across the country with little success, at least in the larger climate change fight. Now, as an aside, the public trust doctrine evolved largely out of Chicago's lakefront cases in the 1800s, dealing with Lake Michigan and Michigan Avenue's landowners' rights to unencumbered access to the lake. Now, every Chicagoan has a private cause of action against anything that encumbers their access to the lake. There's a great book called Lakefront Public Trust and Private Rights in Chicago by Joseph Kearney and Thomas Merrill on this topic, if anyone's interested, and the Public trust doctrine says generally that certain natural resources must be preserved for public use and that the government should step in and prevent private actors from denying those resources to the public when necessary. To use the Chicago example again, that means that if someone tries to develop private land along the lake, every single resident in the city can sue for injunctive relief and essentially halt the development. This actually happened to George Lucas when he tried to put a star Wars museum on the Southern lakefront in Chicago. Anyways, The public trust doctrine has been selectively expanded to things like waterways, etc., but never to a general right to a clean and habitable climate, and the lawsuits alleging that oil companies or other groups have violated the public trust doctrine have not gotten very far, at least in my opinion. So the Montana suit is fascinating because it actually relies instead on the state constitution of Montana. Specifically, there's authority in both the preamble and certain sections in the constitution itself, which discuss the rights of future generations to have a safe and healthy climate. And I'll read you the preamble. We, the people of Montana, grateful to God for the quiet beauty of our state, the grandeur of our mountains, the vastness of our rolling plains, and desiring to improve the quality of life equality of opportunity and secure the blessings of liberty for this and future generations do ordain and establish this constitution. Now, article nine mandates that quote, the legislature shall provide adequate remedies for the protection of the environmental life support system from degradation, provide adequate remedies to prevent unreasonable depletion and degradation of natural resources, unquote. So there is language in the constitution I think is clear, which discuss the rights of future generations to certain climate assurances in Montana. Now, the complaint filed by the plaintiffs point out that at the 1972 Montana Constitutional Convention, certain delegates on the floor emphasized that, quote, Subsection 3 mandates the legislature provide adequate remedies to protect environmental life support systems from degradation. The committee intentionally avoided definitions to preclude being restrictive. And the term environmental life support system is all-encompassing, including but not limited to air, water, and land, and whatever interpretation is afforded this phrase by the legislature and courts. There is no question that it cannot be degraded, unquote. So, In this lawsuit, which is held versus the state of Montana, the plaintiffs are alleging that certain activity in the state is violating the rights of young people in Montana, future generations, through the various acts or acquiescences of Montana agencies with respect to industrial activity, agricultural activity, etc. Specifically, the youth plaintiffs are asking for declaratory and injunctive relief including that the state be enjoined from conducting activity or from permitting activity that would negatively impact the rights of Montana youths to a clean and healthful climate. Specifically, they asked that the court quote a judge and declare that youth plaintiffs fundamental constitutional right to a clean and healthful environment includes a stable climate system that sustains human lives and liberties. And that said right is being violated unquote. And I mean, Isn't that the entire climate change thesis, right? That climate change is real, that it is at least caused in part by human activity, and that it will harm future generations. I mean, that's the argument. From my reading, the entire climate activism platform is going to be on trial in Montana starting February of 2023. The plaintiffs are going to bear the burden of proving all these elements, of course, that industrial activity increases CO2 emissions, pollution causes life expectancies to drop, et cetera, et cetera. And I encourage you to read the complaint, which is available online. But ultimately, what they're arguing is what everyone is more or less saying, that climate change is going to hurt people down the road, and the only way to stop it is to do something about it now. This case is unique because the standing issue, which usually prevents these lawsuits from going forward. Generally, you can't sue for harm that has yet to happen. You can't sue for on behalf of people that maybe don't exist yet. But in this case, the Montana Constitution has, at least for the time being, been interpreted to explicitly enumerate rights on future generations to a healthy climate. And the reason that we're covering this is because, like I said, this time next year, the entire climate change agenda will literally be on trial. And we know how these things go. Copycat suits will bubble up around the country if the Montana plaintiffs are successful. And I think the core issue on display here is just fascinating. What rights, if any, does the constitutional document provide to future generations? The Held versus Montana case will be the first ever children's climate trial in the U.S. Now, there are similar lawsuits pending in Washington, Florida, Florida, North Carolina, and Virginia, there was one in Alaska which was just dismissed in January of 2022, but not without convincing at least some hearts and minds along the way. Justices Mason and Carney wrote in a dissent that the law, quote, requires we explicitly recognize a constitutional right to a livable climate, arguably the bare minimum when it comes to the inherent rights to which the Alaska Constitution is dedicated, unquote. And theoretically, that's a good point. Wouldn't the right to live in a healthy and safe climate be again the bare minimum of any understanding of what the term human rights means? So, wouldn't that be something? We're talking about establishing a constitutional right to a healthy climate, something that the Green New Deal or any other congressional act that you want to mention could never do. And I don't want to speculate too much on this, but if something like this were to be recognized, you wouldn't need to pass an act of Congress to stop fracking that was causing harmful carcinogens to get into local water or coal burning that may cause asthma in children, any citizen could bring a lawsuit alleging their constitutional rights to a clean and healthy environment were being infringed, much like what happens in Chicago now with the lakefront. So for climate activists, this would be the ultimate victory. In any event, we'll circle back next year when the trial starts in Montana. From a Reuters exclusive, Johnson & Johnson created a secret plan called Project Plato to offload its liabilities and debts from the mountain of asbestos and talc litigation. The underlying allegations in those lawsuits, by the way, are that Johnson & Johnson products cause deadly cancers. J&J allegedly assigned about 30 staffers to the project, directing them to keep things under wraps. In an email that was reviewed by Reuters, quote, it is critical that any activities related to Project Plato including the mere fact that the project exists, be kept in strict confidence, unquote. A lawyer for Johnson & Johnson wrote in an internal memo reviewed by Reuters, So the plan, it seemed, was for J&J to form a separate entity which could absorb certain liabilities, including the 38,000 pending tout cases against Johnson & Johnson. From there, the new entity would then immediately declare bankruptcy, leaving the plaintiffs in the tout cases fighting among themselves for a limited amount of funds in the bankruptcy trust. According to the Reuters report, J&J has had mixed results at trial so far. One award was for $27 million, for example. There are other awards that are in the billions. But if the Operation Plato went as it was supposed to, that plaintiff or any of the plaintiffs that have gotten a verdict or judgment against J&J would have to seek compensation through the bankruptcy process, and they would have to likely take a substantial haircut on whatever judgments they may get. In October of 2021, J&J went ahead with the plan, offloading billions in liability to its, we'll just call it a straw subsidiary company. Now, J&J is giving about $2 billion in assets to the straw man company to be put into a bankruptcy trust to compensate all 38,000 claimants, which, as we know, $2 billion is not going to be enough. Nonetheless, J&J said in a statement, quote, The filing follows established process, and courts have uniformly acknowledged that equitably resolving these types of claims through Chapter 11 is legitimate use of the restructuring process. The objective is to reach a fair and equitable resolution for the claimants through the plan of reorganization and create a reasonable framework to address the unprecedented numbers of existing and future talc-related claims. It continued, we stand behind the safety of Johnson's baby powder, which by the way, is the substance that the plaintiffs are alleging is causing cancer, which is safe, does not contain asbestos and does not cause cancer. We continue to believe that resolving this matter as quickly and efficiently as possible is in the best interest of the plaintiffs and all stakeholders. We will continue to follow the process and put forth our position in court, unquote. So in any event, Reuters nonetheless obtained these secret white papers to this secret project from a source close to the company. J&J sought a restraining order to enjoin Reuters from publishing that was denied. And the way that this was initially leaked is kind of interesting. It should serve as a lesson to lawyers out there not to devolve too much when negotiating with opposing counsel. Apparently, Reuters learned about Project Plato when one of J&J's attorneys told a plaintiff's lawyer that they would pursue the bankruptcy plan. And this is me speculating here, but you could see how this might happen. A defense attorney is talking with the plaintiff's lawyers. Maybe there's an offer on the table. They're pushing the plaintiff's lawyers to take the offer, dangling the information that, hey, if you don't take this, J and J might put this whole thing through bankruptcy, using that as leverage to convince the plaintiff to accept the offer. Now, litigation in the underlying cases is currently stalled while the bankruptcy court tries to sort this out. No update as to whether the bankruptcy of the straw company will hold up. We'll keep you updated. A couple of news items on the employment front, California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing has sued Tesla, alleging that it tolerated racial discrimination in an assembly plant in Fremont, California. The lawsuit alleges that black workers claim they are segregated from the general population are subjected to racist slurs and drawings and also assign the most physically demanding jobs. Tesla says in a blog post that nearly 50% of discrimination suits previously reviewed by the state of California lacked merit. So the state siding with additional claimants now contradicts the previous positions taken by the state quote, a narrative spun by DFEH and a handful of plaintiffs firms to generate publicity is not factual proof. Unquote, the company said. A federal jury in October awarded $137 million to Owen Diaz, a former employee of the Fremont plant, who said managers ignored his complaints about constant racial harassment, including slurs and swastikas scrawled on bathroom walls. The company is also defending against similar claims in a proposed class action on behalf of factory workers in California State Court. A judge last year rejected Tesla's bid to dismiss the claims. The DFEH said black workers are assigned difficult, menial jobs in segregated areas of the factory known as the dark side and are less likely to be promoted to management positions. They are subjected to racial slurs, including the N-word and hood rats on a daily basis. According to the complaint, Tesla has denied all allegations. More employment news. The Senate this week passed the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act, sponsored by Kirsten Gillibrand, a Democrat, and Lindsey Graham, a Republican. The bill would protect an employee's right to sue their employers over allegations of sexual harassment or assault in the workplace, regardless of whether their contracts would normally require mandatory arbitration. Apparently, about 60 million Americans are forced to have arbitration clauses in their employment contracts. Senator Gillibrand says that they are especially common in woman-dominated fields. The new bill would allow those who are alleging that they have been sexually assaulted or harassed to sue their employer directly in state or federal court, not go through the mandatory arbitration system, which many people believe is heavily tilted towards the employer. All right, everyone, that's the show. Thanks for listening to those of you that are already subscribed. We appreciate it. To those of you that are just checking us out for the first time now, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We'd appreciate that. The show is coming along. We've made a lot of progress over the past couple of weeks as we've hammered out the kinks so far. We think we're putting out a pretty decent product that we're proud of. We hope that you do too. Otherwise, we will continue to talk to you every Tuesday and we'll talk to you next week.